0: COO's job is to make the CEO look good, right? It was to make the CEO iconic, right? My job was to make Brian look like the shining star at one eight hundred got junk. So it was to take all the tough decisions off his plate, to take all the hard work off his plate, to allow him to be vision and culture, and and then Brian's job behind the scenes with the employees was to make sure that people still liked me even though I had to be the hard ass all the time. Yeah. Right. So his job is kind of like mom had to make dad look good. Dad had to make mom look good. And then behind the scenes, mom and dad can argue and fight, but not in front of the kids. Hmm. That's important for the CEO, COO as well.
1: Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold.
2: Today, I am so grateful to be joined by Cameron Harold. Cameron, how are you today?
0: Hey, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Appreciate
2: it. Oh man, fellow BC person living in BC. So Cameron is the founder of the CEO Alliance. He is the he's authored five books, and I have read I think three of them. Uh, just a big uh, foundational part of the Vancouver ecosystem was longtime COO for One Eight Hundred Got Junk, um, and been involved with just like so many organizations. But uh, Cameron, anything that you want to add in there to share about your bio and your background
0: before we get into the interview? Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, building 1-800-GOT-JUNK, that was actually the fourth company that I built. So I had been the second in command a couple other times, built the largest collision repair chain in North America, was on the very senior leadership team of what became the largest residential house painting company on the world. Uh, we built a private currency company that we, we built and sold, similar to what Bitcoin is doing, but we did it 20 years ago, sold for $64 million. So 1-800-GOT-JUNK was my fourth kick at the can. And then I left there 14 years ago and I've been coaching real companies, typically 50 to 500 employees from all over the world. I've done paid speaking events now in 26 countries on six continents. I've just been booked to speak in Antarctica, which will be my seventh and final continent in February, which will be kind of cool. And um, yeah, that's that's a little bit about me. I'm just a kid from Northern Canada. That's awesome. Well,
2: I, I appreciate that. And again, you know, be, having followed your career for such a long time, you're A, no bullshit. And B, uh, bring a different perspective that I really appreciate because if there's a lot of stuff catered to the CEO, obviously, but the COO requires, ai don't want to call it a unique set of skills, but it does. It's a different perspective. It's a different approach. It's a little bit less glorified, but it's so critical to the success of what I'll say high growth companies, uh, like just having, keeping the wheels on the bus, and then sometimes being the... the other side of the CEO. So maybe you can, as we get into it, speak about the relationship between the CEO and the COO, and why is it such a critical role in a growing company?
0: Yeah, it's actually why I even started the COO Alliance. So first off, let's not call it a COO, we'll call it a second in command, right? You've got your entrepreneur, and then you have the second in command or the integrator or COO. It could be a director of operations, general manager, VP operations, It might be a CFO or a CMO, but there's usually a person that is the second in charge to the CEO, almost like if the entrepreneur was in hospital for six months, who would be running the company for you? And then one of the things that Brian and I noticed, Brian was the founder and CEO of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, and we were best friends, was he needed to know what had to happen, have happened to build the company, but I needed to know how to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, Brian needed to, to be aware that there was something called coaching. I had to know the expertise of coaching. Brian had to know that there was something called situational leadership. I had to understand it and be able to execute situations. Like he had to know that something like STO existed. I had to know where to find people to do it. So the role of the COO is more of the the who, what, when, where, why, and how, or the how kind of, and the, the CEO is the where we're going and and why we're going there kind of person. They're very much that yin and yang. the the, almost like a husband and wife in a traditional marriage might be.
2: Mm. So I looked at your CEO, COO Alliance stats and, you know, looking at the second command, you know, many of those businesses, they're like 11 million, 20 million. And of course, above, you know, what happens? I guess I could ask it from two perspectives, smaller businesses that are growing that might not have a second in command and even bigger businesses that might not have a second in command. What happens if you don't have that in place?
0: Well, the first thing before you ever hire a second in command that an entrepreneur needs to hire is an executive assistant. Right? If you don't have an executive assistant, you are one. And I think too often the entrepreneur tries to hire a second in command to get a bunch of stuff off their plate. But what they can do is get an executive assistant for 60 or 50 grand to get a bunch of stuff off their plate to free them up to work on the bigger, more impactful areas of the business. And then when the business scales to such a point that they just can't grow their people, they can't handle all the moving parts, they're missing opportunities, that's when you need the second in command to truly help you leverage the organization. So I think some cases, they tend to bring on the person too early. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, your first management team usually is a jack of all trades, master of none, that you just start getting like the good project managers, people managers, oh, this person might actually be good in marketing, we'll let them run marketing. That usually becomes your first management team. Usually, you need a COO when you're moving your management team to become a leadership team, right? When you're bringing in people that have talent, that have skills, that you need to oversee them without having any idea how to do their job. You know, I had a a head of product. I couldn't do product development. I had a head of marketing. I didn't understand 90% of what they were doing. Um, You know, integrating with IT, didn't understand. Head of the call center, couldn't do any of the technical in the call center. So all of my direct reports were way stronger. At the functional areas of the business, but that was because we were then building out those layers. Mm. So, I mean, you touched
2: on it a little bit that the evolution from the management and to the leadership, but what were some of the biggest aha's in any of the four businesses that you went through as you, you know, developed as a, as a leader yourself? Like what were some of those ooh, like big aha moments for you?
0: Well, one of the big ones is in growth. If your company is growing quickly, so I, I determine hyper growth as you know, 100% growth year after year. So at 800 God Junk, we doubled the size of our revenue six consecutive years in a row. That's hyper growth. Yeah. Now I thought that was hyper growth until a week ago where I listened to some people at Google and they did 400% revenue growth five years in a row. I'm like, fuck, 100% <laughs> slow. So in the book, Double Double, I talk about doubling the size of your revenue and profit in three years or less. That's three 26% growth years, year after year, which is that's usually what is called hypergrowth. So in growing the size of your company quickly, you have to grow the talent and the skills of your team. Because if you don't grow the skills of your managers and leaders, you'll outgrow them, mm-hmm. which means you're having to replace them. And it's tough bringing in people from the outside over top of current teams. So the key is if you can keep growing your people as you grow the company, you don't need to replace them as often or uh, have to go through those tougher kind of strategic moves. So, what so that, that was one big aha. I think the second big aha was the, the, the more that we actually focus on the critical few things versus the important many. You know, it was about saying no to lots of opportunities and saying yes to the right ones. Hmm. It was about looking at our three inputs: our people, our time, and our money as the three inputs. And what's the highest ROI off those three inputs? And it was saying yes to those highest ROI things. Momentum created momentum. Absolutely, right.
2: and for again, I'm taking it from the second in command perspective. Working as a as somebody who's you know typically operations focused, and you have to partner with the CEO who is typically vision focused. How did you? Like maneuver the hey, we need to prioritize, we need to focus with somebody who may, and I'm not saying Brian did, have like shiny object syndrome and, and was like really focused on the big picture. Oh, fuck yeah, he had big shiny.
0: <laughs> well, now, here's what was really interesting about Brian and I we were like nitroglycerin, we were both very entrepreneurial DNAs, both very entrepreneurial um, archetypes, personality profiles. I had just be, I had built a lot of the functional skills to be a COO, but I'm a very unique COO in that I'm extraordinarily entrepreneurial DNA. Most COOs, though, tend to ask a lot of questions and put a lot of systems in place to start projects. Most entrepreneurs like to start them and figure it out as they go, right? Shooting from the hip, winging it, We'll kind of momentum creates momentum. So, the way that the COO works well with the CEO, when the CEO has that big, great idea, is to say, I love that idea. Let me ask you some questions to understand that idea more so that we can figure out how to get it going. It's not to say, like, if I come to you with a good idea, it's not to say, well, how's this going to work? How's that going to work? Because they feel like you're debating them. Yeah. What they want to do is get the idea out of their mind. So, picture the entrepreneur's mind like a hard drive that keeps getting full. Your job is to take stuff out of their mind. Understand it enough that you can put it into a a list and then once a quarter, once every six months, vote on which things to take off the list and to start. But don't let the entrepreneur start every idea. The reason they want to start every idea isn't really because they want to start it. It's because they need to get it out of their mind and onto somebody else's plate. So the middle step is get it out of their mind, clarify it, get it onto a list, and then take the list every three to six months and vote on which things to green light, yellow light, or red light. Mm. I like that. Is that a, a formal process or, or like the green light, yellow light, red light? It's a process that I created, which is like it, sometimes it's, it's, it's no, sometimes it's not now. And sometimes it's OK, green light, we're going to do it. Where are we going to do it this quarter? Who's going to do it? What are the resources?
2: Hmm. I, I really want to highlight something that you share that I think is like gold there, both for leadership teams and for the CEO to recognize those traits in yourself. If you're a leadership team and you're working with a CEO, being able to recognize that they need to like get shit out of their brain so that they can focus and as a CEO, recognize that your hard drive does get full and sometimes you just need to get somebody to get it off your plate and both of those things are going to help that sort of balance.
0: Thoughts yeah. on that and, Kim? And the big thing that the CEO needs to do for the COO is to give them time and space to ask the questions. Give them time and space to catch up. Remember that you, as the entrepreneur, have been rolling this idea around in your head for three days, or three weeks, or three months. You can't hand it to them in 17 seconds and expect them to get it. So they need to ask questions, and they'll ask they'll ask ten questions where you might only ask one or two because you'll ask all your questions as you're doing it. Give them the space to ask the questions, and for the COO type. When the entrepreneur says, I don't care, I don't need that, they're not really saying that they don't care about the information. What they're saying is their brain is too full. They trust and respect you so much that they know that you can take care of those details that they don't have the ability to sort through right now. Mm-hmm. So they just so you need to give them the executive summary, right? Entrepreneurs want the executive summary, and then they'll ask you for more information if they need it. And then on the flip side, entrepreneurs need to give the COOs time to ask enough questions to create the system or plan to get going so they don't have to come back to you seven times.
2: Yeah, so two critical ingredients there is the time and space to ask questions. And then I think one that sometimes gets overlooked but get blown into culture is trust and respect. If you don't have trust and respect between your leadership team, nothing moves, and it's just a frustrating experience. And I don't know.
0: Yeah, let me talk. Let me speak to the trust part. So the COO's job is to make the CEO look good, right? It was to make the CEO iconic, right? My job was to make Brian look like the shining star at 180 got junk. So it was to take all the tough decisions off his plate, to take all the hard work off his plate, to allow him to be vision and culture and. And then Brian's job behind the scenes with the employees was to make sure that people still liked me, even though I had to be the hard ass all the time. Yeah. Right. So his job is kind of like mom had to make dad look good. Dad had to make mom look good. And then behind the scenes, mom and dad can argue and fight, but not in front of the kids. Hmm. Yeah. That's important for the CEO, CO as well.
2: And I know that there was uh, this is a small tangent, but I know that there was a point when. 1-800-GOT-JUNK got got to like 100 million. And you're like, you know, there had to be a change, which is a tough part to be able to say, hey, like, what is that next step in the business? And that I couldn't imagine what that was like from a leadership
0: perspective. Well, Uh, I didn't uh, say there had to be a change. Brian pulled me aside one morning and said, (laughs) I think we're done. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I think we've come to the end of your time. You're not the guy to take us to the billion dollars. You were the guy to get us from from 2 million to 100 million. And I started sobbing and he booked me a taxi from the Vancouver club back to my house because I wasn't capable of driving. And uh, that was a brutal time, but he was right. And I was the sixth of six leadership team members that we had to replace over the prior three years. I was the last one on the team that that the team of six that got us from 2 million to 30 million, three of them couldn't get us to 60. And then a couple of them couldn't get us to the hundred. I was kind of the last one that could get us to that stage. So we replaced the head of IT. We replaced the head of finance. We replaced the head of marketing. We replaced the head of our call center. Placed that of like, we each person had to be eventually replaced because you don't you don't have the skills to run. I'm not the billion dollar guy, right? Yeah. Um, and they needed someone who could deal with the matrix decision making and be more methodical and be more strategic and be more detail oriented. It could slow things down and. I was like, yes, let's do Australia. Let's yes do the UK. Let's like buy 13 other companies. Like it was it was the perpetual motion machine and I could pull it all together to a point. But, you know, we had 3,100 employees system wide when I left. We had 14 when I got there. Hey there, Cameron here. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We're going to get right back to it in a sec, but just let me ask you a quick question. Are you a COO or a second in command tasked with helping the company hit and exceed its growth goals? Having spent many decades of my life dedicated to this role, I know one of the secrets of growth is to surround yourself with like-minded people, also pushing and striving to go where you want to go. It's why as a listener to this podcast, I want to officially invite you to the COO Alliance. It's for COOs, presidents, VP ops, or whoever is your company's second in command to the CEO. We're the world's leading community for the second in command and it gives COOs the tools and connections to grow themselves and the company. When you're a part of this peer group, you'll get access to unprecedented support, guidance and resources to grow your company's bottom line, improve your ability to streamline processes, connect with other top seconds in command to assist you and bring out your greatest potential and so much more. Go to www.cooalliance.com to see if you qualify. It's where you can also see other members and the results of the program, as well as our 10X guarantee. If you qualify for membership, you can set up a complimentary call with our team to discuss if the group can be the right fit for you. Once again, it's www.cooalliance.com. Now back to the show.
2: One of the things that you had mentioned when we were talking about the double-double was the talent and skills. And I was going to ask, you know, what if you don't have those? Because I know, especially in smaller startup businesses, they feel attached and they feel like, hey, you know, we're not going to be able to get the talent, especially now in 2021. You know, what do you say if if your management team doesn't have the talent and skills that you want? Do you just sort of sweep it under the rug, let it go, or do you need to make that
0: call? What's beautiful right now is that everything is available. It's not a how problem. It's a who problem. It's not a how do I do this, it's a who can I get to do this? And we can outsource, you can get freelancers, you can get fractional people. Um, th- it's pretty easy to get people or businesses to do stuff that needs to get done. So it needs to get done, but not by us. The other thing is entrepreneurs need to lean out into the future that two or three years out and see what their company looks like, acts like, and feels like to see what the team is going to need. You know, The reason I even launched this course recently called Invest in Your Leaders was the the teams need to grow managers. And if we know the company is going to be bigger in two years, our team's going to need more skills than they have. We need to give them the skills around coaching. We need to give them the skills around situation leadership. We need to give them the skills around interviewing. Like most managers interview new employees, but they've never been trained on how to do a job interview.
1: Mm.
0: Most managers run meetings, but they've never been trained on how to run meetings. Most managers do one-on-one coaching but they've never been trained on how to run a one-on-one session. So they don't have a fucking clue on how to do any, they might understand marketing, but they don't know how to be a leader or a manager. So I think we need to lean out and give them those skills. And the more that we give them the skills and the praise of what they're doing well, that raises their confidence. They're more willing to learn more skills. And we keep giving them praise. It's grow their skills, grow their confidence, grow their skills, grow their confidence the same way that you grow children.
2: Yeah. Well, I think it's like an undertone to our conversation so far that is both obvious, but I think people miss it. I think when people look at people, they, they see potential. They're like, this person can do this. Like I'm going to, but if they don't actually have
0: the skills or well, experience, it doesn't most, mean shit. But most entrepreneurs also don't have the skills to teach them. Yeah. So, so it's a bit of the blind leading the blind. Right. So like I had an entrepreneur a few years ago that I coached from 40 employees up to 700 and I taught him a session that's in the Invest in Your Leaders course on email management. He goes, oh, my God, this is going to change the company. And I said, no, Bobby, it changes you. But you training all of your employees on this system, that will change the company. Mm. But the, the entrepreneur getting better doesn't magnify the entire organization. It, on its own. It
2: sometimes,
0: sometimes magnifies more of the problems.
2: <laughs> yeah, right? I get that.
0: Um, so and again, I
2: want to say something. Just so much gold. This like teams need to grow their managers and managers need to grow their leaders. Like it's one of those obvious sounding things, but if like our listeners, listeners dissect that teams need to grow their managers, managers need to grow into leaders, expand on that. And just like, what does that mean?
0: Well, My my belief is that a leader's core job is to grow people, right? So our job is to continually grow their skills and their confidence, their skills and their confidence. It's not to hold them accountable, hire accountable people. Like learn how to hire accountable people. It's not to um, to you know align them. Put the systems in place so they self-align. We're we're trying to to do it backwards. You know, I believe the org chart should be flipped upside down, where the CEO is at the bottom, supporting the VPs, who are supporting the managers, supporting the employees, who are supporting the customers. Almost like an inverted pyramid, Mm -hmm. and everyone can see the vivid vision as to where we're going. And you build the company inside your core purpose and your core values. That's how I believe that the organization. So the leaders and managers have to be always looking ahead to go, okay, what are the projects that everybody's working on? Do they have the skills to do that project? Do they have the confidence on that project? Okay, what about this project? Do they have the skills on that project? And then if you don't have the internal depth, how can you get them the training? Is there a book or a video or a course or a mentor right, to keep growing them along that path?
2: Yeah. Well, I definitely want to ask you about the COO Alliance and peer learning. Before I do that, you had mentioned the importance of time and space to ask questions. Some might say meetings suck. So how do we balance not having too, meet, too many meetings but and yeah. also making the time to unpack stuff that needs to be
0: unpacked? Well, that, that book, Meetings Suck, is actually based on that same entrepreneur in Florida that I coached from 40 up to 700 people. We were talking one day about his meetings and he said, our meetings suck. And I said, well have you ever trained your managers on how to run meetings? He said, no. I said, have you ever trained your employees on how to show up and attend and participate in meetings? He said, no. I said, Then meetings don't suck. You guys suck at running meetings. And he started laughing and he goes like, he used to call me Yoda. He's like, okay, Yoda, teach me. So I, I created the, gave him a system to run highly effective meetings. And I said, let's just train all of your employees on those systems so that they can be more effective. like a meeting is anytime you have a Zoom call or a video call or a phone call or an in-person face-to-face with two or more people. That's a meeting. And and there's systems in place to make them very effective, but without the systems, it's kind of like sending your kid off to play little league baseball. We would never send a seven-year-old off to his first game of baseball without teaching him how to hold the bat or how to hold the the glove or how to catch a ball or how to toss it. We'd give them the basic skills Otherwise they'd come home from first night and they go, baseball sucks. Like, no, Johnny, you suck at baseball. (laughs) Right? So we have to give our employee, but again, like if anyone listening, have you trained your managers on how to do an interview? Probably not. Have you trained them on time management? Like really trained them, right? Have you trained them on coaching or delegation or project management or conflict management? Have you trained them on running meetings or classroom teaching? So of course business is hard because they don't have the skills to do the basics. So when you give them, that's why I even called the course, invest in your leaders. If we give them the basic skills, business is easy. Right now, entrepreneurial companies are like flies trying to get out a window and they're going to keep banging their head on the window, working harder. But if there's a shortcut, like just training people, then it gets simple. Yeah, absolutely. That's all we did at Tunder, Got Junk and College Pro Painters and Boyd Autobody was, was we gave people the skills and then it was easy.
2: Yeah. Well, I think it's it's really speaking to being outcome focused, outcome focused in the sense of if you don't know what good is, how can you replicate it? So people just show up focusing on being busy versus saying, hey, here's the outcome I want. It's why, you know, us who facilitate strategy meetings like we have like two, three things we do really, really well. And we bring that to the table because people don't have it.
0: So here's here's something else with this as well. Everyone listening was severely fucked up by the school system because we went to school from kindergarten until the end of grade 12 or the end of college so we've had somewhere between 12 and 16 years of school where every test that we got we were told that we were a c or a b minus or 60 percent or 72 we were told we weren't perfect so we were literally told over and over you're not good enough you're not good enough you're not smart enough you're not smart enough so now we're all trying to be the smart entrepreneur instead of realizing we don't have to be the one to know this stuff. We have to just connect the dots with the people. We actually get to cheat. We get to get other people to teach our teams. We get to use other resources. we get we get to have the cheat sheets. Mm. instead of having to learn from failure, learning from failure is a terrible idea. How about so, avoiding How about avoiding failure in the first place?
2: So, I want to take all of that together because it's about like the the leading, the learning, learning what air quotes perfect is and having those outcomes. Um, When I ask people, what does success look like? They either give me something that's super vague or they don't even know. So in the context of a vivid vision, why is having that clear, specific,
0: detailed outcome critical to an organization's success? Well, to quote the Cheshire Cat, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Right. So the idea with a vivid vision is if every employee, customer and supplier can see what your company will look like, act like and feel like three years in the future. If they understand your culture and your meeting rhythms and how you measure dashboards and how you what your employees are like and what your customer interactions are like, if they could see what you can see your company looking like right three years in the future, they can help figure out how to make it come true. I could hire the smartest home builder and the best home builder in Vancouver, give them 2 million bucks and say, build me my dream home. I'll see you in 12 months. I would come back. They would have built a beautiful home. But chances are, it looks nothing like what I wanted my home to look like. Build my dream home doesn't give them, But if I showed them pictures and sketches and drawings, if I talked to them about how I live and how, many, how my, my home is going to be and how I'm going to use different rooms, they could then design it. I could sign off on it. They could then create the blueprints or the plans to make my vision come true Hand the blueprints to the employees who could build my dream home perfectly without ever talking to me. And the problem for entrepreneurial companies is no one can see what the entrepreneur really wants everything to look like. So the entrepreneur spends forever thinking they're intuitive, but they're the only one who sees the vision. Intuition is attached to your vision. If everyone can see what you can see, everyone will be just as intuitive as you are. Yeah. And I think that goes back to what we were talking about
2: earlier of the CEO being able to download their thoughts onto the coo and the CEO or the second in command more precisely can implement it, run with it, put the plans in place and, and rally the leadership team around making that a reality. But of course, that communication needs to happen between the two groups. Exactly. Um, so as we begin to wrap up, I really want to talk about you know, we started every, well, everything around here is around learning, around communication, around upskilling, about learning from others. And most recently, we talked about being able to cheat as an adult, like you can do. And I think this is your term, R&D, where you rip off and duplicate. I think that was you. Yeah. Uh, um. Tell, talk to me about your experience with peer learning and specifically the COO Alliance and, and some of the outcomes coming out of that.
0: So I learned again in the school system, they taught us that you couldn't learn from others. You had to memorize everything. You had to be the smartest person at the table. You couldn't collaborate. And then I learned in business, that's not true. In business, you can hire smart people. You can, uh, can rally around smart people. You can learn from other smart people. You can ask the smart people for the shortcuts. You can you can do what they're doing. So I decided to plug myself into an entrepreneur group. And the first one I joined used to be called YEO, the Young Entrepreneurs Organization. It's now called EO. I was a member of the Vancouver chapter from '95 to 2000, and that was even where Brian and I met in EO. He watched me building a couple of businesses. I watched him starting 1-800-GOT-JUNK, and and, and I learned from these other entrepreneurs. And then I got involved in the Genius Network, and Maverick, and Baby Bathwater, and War Room, and Strategic Coach. And I've gone to the main five-day TED conference for 11 years. So I've been in all these other mastermind communities that I pay to be a member of where I'm no longer the smartest person in the room. You know, I've done paid speaking events for EO and YPO in 26 countries where I'm around all these other entrepreneurs. So every time I put myself into this other community of entrepreneurs, I I learn from osmosis. I get inspired that I'm now one degree away from the answers. You know, if I don't know how to do something, someone at that table does, or they know someone who does for me. So it's accelerated everything for me. Mm. Um, Yeah, I mean... The COO Alliance had to be created because there was no network or organization for the second in commands, and we just put a bar in place that we wanted real second in commands. We said five million in revenue is the minimum threshold to qualify.
2: Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, I've led peer groups, and you know, being at a million or two, it's so funny how the higher up you go, the more you realize you don't know but it's sort of the opposite. Like we're like, Oh yeah, a million and two, 3 million. I'm like a hot shot. Not always, of course.
0: No, I've got, I've got members of, that are, that are, are young that are learning that they, they're not as smart as they thought they were now. And then I've got, I've got a COO of a $1.8 billion company that's a member and um, he is loving the learning that's happening because he's seeing things from a completely different perspective. We have members from 17 countries. So now we're getting a very global, um, perspectives on the same ideas, you know, managing and leading teams and very different in in Switzerland versus um, the Philippines versus Canada or US. So just as we wrap up here, Talk to me about the
2: importance of humility as a leader. And then especially like we talking about that international context, like how does leadership change and evolve either, you know, within that need for humility or within international markets, which I get is a weird question, but I know you'll take it somewhere.
0: Ego, ego doesn't scale. I mean, it's very rare that you see very, very successful people with the ego, um, you know, there's a few names out there. I'm not going to say their names. There's a few names of some leaders out there that are complete egomaniacs, but they're few and far between. And I think as Jim Collins used to say, the level five leadership, it's the humility, but the personal drive is what makes you successful. What I've realized is none of this actually matters. Like we're all going to die. This is just what we do to make money. Yeah. And every single employee, every team leader, every, every member of ours, every customer, is all str- they're all struggling with something in their personal life right now. They're struggling with a family issue, they're struggling with the dependency, they're struggling with money, they're struggling with weight, they're struggling with uh, you know an addiction. Everybody is struggling with something today. You're struggling with something, I'm struggling and if we're more connected with the human and the reality is this is just what we do to make money. If we connect to the humanity of the other people, they'll go through brick walls for us. And I think that's, that's what I strive for in, in, in business as well.
2: That's awesome. I appreciate that, Cam. I really, I get that. And I think it's a critical component as we talk about developing all of the leaders is to really have that empathy, compassion, and understanding through, throughout everything. So um, where can people get a hold of you? Where can they learn about investing in your leaders? Where can they get your books and where they can find out about COO Alliance?
0: Yeah, well, Invest in Your Leaders is just investinyourleaders.com. Um, all five of my books are available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. My books are Double Double, Meeting Suck, Free PR, Vivid Vision, and then I co-authored The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs with Hal Elrod, um, The COO Alliance, and you know CameronHerald.com. And then I've also got the podcast, the Second in Command podcast they should all check out as well.
2: That's awesome. And if you're in Antarctica, be sure to see uh, Cameron speak in person. Uh, Anything else you want to say before we finish up today, Cameron?
0: No, I'm good, man. Let's get down to the ocean. Enjoy this province we're in right now. It's beautiful out today.
1: You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.